Let's do two things to prepare to hear God say something to us. The first thing is let's get God's word in front of us. Would you please take out your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 12. The 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, just to help you remember what we talked about last week and what we're talking about this week, we have put a card in each of the pews. If you're at the end of the pew, would you take that, pass it down, and everybody take one? Mark chapter 12. Last year, last year, uh, Scott McKnight came and preached. And Scott asked, what's the best picture of the Christian life in action? If you wanted to see it at work, what would be the most accurate outworking of faith? Some suggested that it would be social justice, that those who follow Jesus care like Mother Teresa cares for the ones that nobody else cares about. Others said the most faithful people are the ones who listen hard for the word of God. The nuns and the monks who use spiritual disciplines and silence to hear God's voice. Still others felt, and there are many Presbyterians who feel this way, that God wants us to have our minds come alive. So that we see God alive in the world and in our culture. Great theology like John Calvin is what marks the believer. Still others said, no, I think it's none of those. The best way that you show that you're connected to Christ is to be connected to Christ. And when we come and we are fed by the Eucharist, the body of Christ, we live. And Scott pointed out that if you take any one of those... It becomes not only imbalanced, but in the end, it just feels like religion. It's what you got to do to get God on your side. Now we're ready for Mark 12. Because one of the leaders of Israel has heard Jesus arguing with the rabbis. Says he's doing good. Does he know the most important thing? He's essentially asking the question that Mark did. What's the most important thing for the Christian life. And for the very first time, I think, Jesus describes what is the most important thing in life. It's a Snow White type interaction. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Jesus, what's the most important thing of all? And Jesus replies, and how about this? How about, let's do this a little freaky different here. Let's do this together. And instead of looking down at your Bible, why don't I ask you to do what the kids just taught you? If I were to say, Shema, what would I be saying? Shema is, hear, O Israel, hear, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what is the most important commandment? You are to the Lord your God with all your heart. There is no commandment greater than these. And four of you actually did that without looking at the screen. (laughs) Every morning, every night, the Jews would recite the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6. When they woke up, throughout the day when they prayed, 
and at night by their bedsides. As they walked into their house, they'd touch the frame and remember to pray, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Love the Lord. So when Jesus combines the Shema of Deuteronomy 6 and the love your neighbor of Leviticus 19, he's describing what a life of faith really looks like. Jesus' vision of the Christian life is not just marked by justice. It's not just marked by holiness or by the Eucharist or by spiritual disciplines. And certainly it is not that when you see a theological brain walking by, you go, oh, that's what Jesus' people look like. It is marked by loving God and loving others. Loving God, loving others. It sounds so good. And after 2,000 years of hearing it, it sounds very Jesus-y. What a shame that we don't do it. Because really, really we struggle at it, don't we? Love God. It's hard to tell if you're loving God. But, but the choir is saying, if we're not loving our neighbor, how are, we, how are we loving God? I think most of us spend most of the time not in the house of God's love. Henri Nouwen says, most of us live in the house of fear and not in the house of God's love. How about you? Is your life marked by love or by fear? Nouwen speaks for me. We are a fearful people. The more people I know and the more I know people, the more I'm overwhelmed by the negative power of fear. Fear saps all the good stuff. It seems fear has invaded every part of our being to such a degree that we don't know what life would look like without fear. We live in the house of fear. The fear of sickness. The fear of a relationship that breaks up. The the fear of a job that goes sour. The fear of a faith that doesn't work. The, The fear of not knowing the right answers. The fear of losing your friends. We are fear-filled people. And now one finishes. But love, love is stronger than fear. Though it often does not feel that way. Those who love God and love others are moving from the house of fear into the house of love. Now, I got to tell you, I think most times it's not a sweaty, gut-wrenching, joy-robbing fear. But I think most of us, most normal people, live in the every person look out for themselves real-life world. And there's always a knot, and there's always a little fear that this is going to go bad. So that hearing we should live in the house of love feels like, oh, that would be so nice. Oh, that sounds like Pollyanna. But Jesus says, that's the most important thing. You want to know the most important thing? Love God. Live in the house of God's love. Learn to love others. Live at love with others. That is the most important thing. If you could live like that more today, how can you live in the house of love? What does it look like to love somebody? I I think the Shema gives us a good starting place. Because if you love somebody, you spend time with them, right? You can't have a relationship unless you're spending time together. That's why 
two, three, four, five times a day, the Jews would turn to their God and say, God, we love you. We are to spend time with God. Not on our hands and knees in prayer, although that's an important part of it. We're supposed to be living life in a way that reminds us of God's presence. There was a monk named Brother Lawrence. Not the brightest bulb on the string. But people noticed that wherever Brother Lawrence was, he seemed not only at peace, but he seemed to be in contact with God. And they said, how do you do this? He goes, well, I call it, I practice the presence of God. I find actually that it's easier for me to do, to practice the presence of God when I'm washing the dishes than when I'm sitting in chapel. When I'm sitting at my desk, I think of God more often than when I'm singing hymns. I practice the presence of God. And I hear God say, I love you. And I say, I love you too. That's what Henri Nouwen calls moving into the house of love. Being reminded that at the root of our existence is not the fear of death. It's the love of a God who will not let us go. How do you love somebody? You spend time with them. And then I think you've got to fix what's broken. Because relationships are hard. Whether it's my relationship with God, which is broken, my relationship with other people, which is never, ever perfect. You never learn to love unless you fix what is broken. I have uh, three younger brothers, two of whom are actually out of jail right now. They're good guys. At one of them lives over in St. Paul. His uh, daughter is getting married next September. That's a wonderful thing. And uh, so we were talking, and one of the brothers said, well, hey, let's have uh, our annual golf tournament that same week. You know how hard it is to get everybody together. And uh, I, I said, okay. And then I, I turned, Joe is his name, and I turned to Joe. I said, is that okay? He goes, uh, I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. Betsy's in charge. You've got to ask Betsy. So... Since I am the champion, did I tell you I won the Crosby last year? <laughs> Thank you very much. Since I am the champion, I wrote Betsy a note and said, Bets, uh, we're thinking about doing the, the Crosby that week. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? She goes, I think it's a good idea. You guys will get out of my hair. And uh, so I sent out the dates, and then I get an email from Joe. Do you ever feel like when you're talking about anything relational, emails are from the devil? <laughs> emails are from the devil. He says, hey, I can't even use the next word. Hey, dope. What do you think Betsy's going to say? Betsy's never said no to anything in her whole life. Betsy is going crazy that week. Do you really think that's the best week for us to invade and play golf? And I'm like, well, I asked permission. I, I, I'm trying to do the right thing. And I sent him back an email from the devil. And... <laughs> And I said, well, I'm trying not to get defensive here, but I was very defensive. And one of my brothers then helped add fire to the fuel by saying, yeah, you sounded defensive to me. <laughs> Sooner or later, one of us is going to have to act like a follower of Jesus. And I have been praying all week that my brother would act like a follower of Jesus. <laughs> If you want to love somebody, you have to spend time with them. But it's not just spending time. It is having the humility and the grace to address what's broken and to begin by God's grace to fix it.
love God, love others. Spend time, fix what's broken, and then express your love. The joke about the Norwegian, I told her once, I don't have to tell her again, you know? We express love or it's not love. If you do not share your love, it's emotion. If you do not express your love, it's just what you know. It's not what you experience. We need to find ways to express our love. Let me tell you, I hope you still got your Bibles open to the, to the gospel of, of Mark. Um, Mark is known for its brevity. It's short. It's concise. It's known for its pace. As we'll discover in these next six weeks, it goes immediately this, immediately that, immediately this. And Mark is also known for its emotion. There are more emotions expressed by Jesus and by others. Fear, anger, joy, sorrow, tears than any of the other stories about Jesus. But because it's brief, after he says, love God, love others, Mark moves on. But Luke tells the rest of the story. Luke hears this same Love the Lord your God, love others. And his questioner says, uh, Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to love? And Jesus realizes that loving people is a great idea until you have somebody in front of you that you're supposed to love. Whether it's your brother or somebody you don't know. And that's why Jesus tells the story of who the neighbor is, right? In the Jewish world, neighbor was understood as fellow Jews. Neighbor for the Pharisees was fellow Pharisees. Neighbor in the Essene world, maybe John the Baptist's world, was understood as other Essenes. So Jesus told a story about a good Samaritan. Now that doesn't really mean much to us, but it would be like it's an oxymoron. A good Samaritan is an oxymoron. It's saying... There was a good Green Bay Packer fan. Just can't happen. He tells the story about how we are actually to love our neighbors. Instead of telling you a story, I'd like to show you a story about one of us, one of ours, trying to love God and love other people. Can we roll that, please? Loving people is something that I feel my parents do really well. When I didn't want to invite a girl in my preschool class to my birthday because she looked different, my mom made it very clear that was unacceptable. My mom was always making cookies for neighbors and taking me with her to visit people she called friends in the nursing home. It wasn't uncommon for my dad to mow someone's lawn or shovel their sidewalk. He would take me to lunch and he didn't just know the people at Hardee's, he was friends with them, laughing and joking around. My parents embraced and welcomed different people with all kinds of stories into our family and into our lives. As my understanding of Jesus and his love continues to mature and grow, I realize that it is only because he met me when I was alone and empty, that he loved me unconditionally in my dark places, that it isn't about my imperfections, but his grace and perfect love that it is because of that that I'm able to pour into and love the people I meet. 
When I decided to go into social work in college, I was given many opportunities to interact with people I may not otherwise choose to spend time with. I spent time at domestic violence shelters, residential care facilities for teenagers, and in elementary schools. My job became clear. Love them, hear them, and at the end of the day, make sure they know they are cared about. And here's the thing, that isn't any different than how I'm gonna treat my family, my best friend of seven years, or the women in my small group. People are people. We are broken, we are hurting, we need forgiveness, we need to know that we are loved. This is what we're called to do. This is Jesus. Loving people well is not always easy, and I don't always get it right. In fact, it's exhausting and sometimes painful. It takes patience and time. There have been days when I'm getting off of work, walking into my home, and my neighbor stops me to talk about his sick wife. It's these small moments when I think I have nothing left to give that are the most holy. Jesus shows up, and I know that he will give me just a little bit more. And then there are also days at work when one of our residents screams at me and kicks me out of their apartment. It would be easy to walk away and not come back, to become bitter, but I'm reminded of the times that I drift away and Jesus continues to reach out to me until I latch on. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves my neighbor that used to deal drugs. Jesus loves my exhausted coworker who doesn't believe in him. Jesus loves the young man wrestling with his desire to get up every day and live. Jesus loves the single mother on county assistance trying to work and feed her family. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves them all. And so do I. I watch that, I, I worry much less about the future of Jesus' church when young people are leading us. It's a reminder to me that the way that other people know the difference between what we believe and what we know is what we do. How will we love God? How will we love our neighbor? So here's, here's my challenge for you. This week, every day this week, just for a week, seven days, every day when you get up before breakfast, say the Jesus Creed. And every night before you go to bed, the last thing, say the Jesus Creed again. At any time it comes to mind during the day, say that Jesus Creed. What's the most important thing in your life? And it may become more important. That's why we gave you these cards again. I, I'd encourage you, wherever it is, probably for 90% of us, it's in the bathroom. Put it in the bathroom. Morning and night. Put it in the car. Put it at your desk. So that at least twice a day, you could be reminded of what is the most important thing. Phrase by phrase, gesture by gesture, let's get this beyond our knowledge into our belief. Brothers and sisters, together, what is the most important thing? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Lord Jesus, it's not that I don't know, it's that I don't remember. And sometimes even when I remember, it's that I know, but I'm not sure I really believe. I ask, Lord, that you would not turn this into just another religious duty, but you would make it the doorway to life. That when I turn and say, I love you, God, you would, you would surround us with love that will not let us go. And when I say that I love my neighbor, you will give me the chance in ways that help me to see you at work in their lives and in my life. You are the God of love. You are the Savior of grace. You are the Spirit of peace. In all these things, lead us. Amen. Well, I looked up at the clock, and I, I, it can't be this early. <laughs> I looked back at my sermon. I, I, I forgot that whole great illustration about Pope Francis, but let's leave that for another week. 
it would probably be better for us to spend our time making sure that the Holtz family knows that they are beloved of God and that you will not only miss them, you'll pray for them. Why don't you guys scoot out so we can greet you in the great room? If God has reminded you in a fresh way of what the most important thing is and you need help with loving God or loving others, as we go out into the great room, why don't you slide over here and just spend a couple minutes with one of us talking to God in the presence of someone safe. Now go out into this beautiful spring weather, into this beautiful spring weather, and may the God of love go before you And the God of grace pick you up. And the God who is spirit give you peace. And all God's children said...